0: Let's do this. I am Will Howell.
1: I'm Viola Giuda.
0: I'm Anthony Fowler. And this is Not Another Politics Podcast. So I, would, I, think, I think we should talk more about Major League Baseball. What do you guys think? I, we, <laughs> we, have, we have more. Major League Baseball has all these rule changes. They've got the pitcher clock. They've got the new shift rule. Any reason to think that these are politically motivated, these, uh, these new rules? Or what do you guys think? Absolutely, they are.
2: (laughs) Absolutely, they are. They are all catering towards the lack of attention of their viewership, which speaks to the underlying incapacity of average Americans to sit still and engage in sustained, you know, dialogue, which speaks to why our democracy is falling apart. So I think that's why you're bringing it all up, right?
0: Yeah, is, I mean, yeah, is democracy falling apart? It certainly does seem like people have, they have short attention spans. It's not, it's not fun to sit there and watch a baseball game that lasts three and a half hours. And it's also not fun to listen to some long, boring political debate where they're getting into minutiae of policy details and so forth. So you can understand why why some voters might potentially, you know, might potentially use superficial cues to decide who to vote for. What do you think, Viol? Is this is this crazy?
1: I think this is all crazy.
0: But you're on board. If you were the commissioner of Major League Baseball, you'd be looking at ways to change the rules to make it more exciting.
1: Yeah, I would probably cancel baseball and <laughs> turn it into soccer. Or I guess one other choice would be to make the game more attractive visually. So you can put uh, you know different outfits on the players or you can just select uh, more attractive players or players who seem more competent or just <laughs> overall more awesome. So, so perhaps that's one way to make our politics also more attractive. (laughs) Well, you you investigated this issue.
2: (laughs) Well, I sort of did.
1: So tell us more about this.
2: Well, I talked to Alex uh, Todorov, who is a colleague of ours here at the University of Chicago, who wrote a paper. It came out in 2007 in PNAS. And it's called predicting political elections from rapid and unreflective face judgments. This is an exercise wherein these two scholars went out and had people evaluate, with only being shown for you know a fraction of a second, pictures of people who are running for, for office and evaluate their competence just on the basis of that imagery. And and then they try to link up. Um, those evaluations with a set of electoral outcomes. Um, and the and the findings are actually pretty remarkable. I thought that was very deft on your part, Anthony. You just sort of <laughs> brought... I thought... I don't, know, I don't know where we were going. And then all of a sudden, it was... Oh, it was about... It's like, mm-hmm. no,
1: I don't have any lead in. You know. I know. He'd been working Wing on it. that. <laughs>
2: you don't come up with something on like that just... Like, in the moment?
0: Sadly, the answer is yes. I think that we're <laughs> how little we prepare for this.
2: <laughs> yeah. Alex, it's great to have you on the show, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to talk about this research that for you is a little old. This is about a paper that came out in 2007. So it's a paper that looks at how very rapid judgments drawn from pictures... Of politicians do a reasonably good job, or a remarkably good job, of predicting the likely winners of, of races and gubernatorial races and, and Senate races. And we'll get to the details. It's worth saying from the top though, when you say rapid, you mean it. Like these are in fractions of a sec uh, of a second. And their judgments about lots of things, potentially. You in this paper focus on competence. Why competence as opposed to any number of other attributes? That one might quickly form ju- judgments about somebody.
3: That's right. So people make all varieties of judgment. That's exactly right. So the first thing one might think about appearance is attractiveness. But more worrisome, people make all sort of complex judgment like competence, which is really a proxy for intelligence, uh, trustworthiness, aggressiveness, extroversion, you name it. So ask people to make a judgment and they know what it means Conceptually speaking, they'll make this judgment. So our first paper was in 2005, and we did this for Senate elections. And it was very surprising that uh, naive judgments of politicians based solely on their appearance and no knowledge whatsoever of who they are were predictive of who was going to win. And we measured lots of different judgments. And the one that turned out to be most predictive of the election outcomes was perceived competence. And uh, Gabriel Lenz, who is now in Berkeley, and Chapel Lawson, who is at MIT, they did a number of follow up studies on our work. And they first were skeptical, justifiably so. But then they replicated the studies. And most importantly, they looked at actual voters. They, they also measured political knowledge and a number of other things, and, uh, and also how much people watch TV. And so it turns out that the more knowledgeable the voters are, the less of an effect. In fact, for the highest, if you take the top 25%, there's no effect of appearance and their voting decisions. The less knowledgeable, the stronger the effect. And if you add watching TV, that increases the magnitude of the effect. So let's, let's return to the setting in
2: which you're working, which is with... Princeton undergraduates—that's your population. Those are—that's your captive audience. Yes. Um, you sit them down. You—what do you expose them to? Walk us through how uh, one of these experiments works. So it's
3: an extremely simple setup. They see two pictures in black and white, and that's typically the winner and the runner-up. And they ask, "Who looks more competent?" That's pretty much it. Typically, also we will ask after they make the judgment. Do you recognize any of the politicians? So if the participants say, yes, I recognize politician A, we don't use these judgments. And so that's the basic setup. And then we can manipulate, well, how long the pictures stay on the screen. We can manipulate, well, how fast do we have to respond? In this way, this, this manipulation helps us to get into the, what are the psychological processes, what are the sorts of, the kinds of judgment that are really predictive. Essentially, on average, participants are better than chance. So if chance is 50%, it's like flipping a coin. Uh, Individual participants, on average, would be about 56 57%. That's not much better than chance, but it is better than chance. And if you aggregate across participants, now if you take 40 to 100 participants, suddenly you can pick up about 70% of the election outcomes but there are subplots to the finding, which are interesting. For instance, how
2: long you let the picture linger does not improve, for the most part, does not improve the predictive capacity of the
3: judgment. So in the first study, we would present the faces for 100 milliseconds or 250 milliseconds or unlimited time. So the faces stay on the screen until the participants responded. And essentially, that doesn't make any difference whatsoever. And in another study, we asked participants to deliberate and make a good judgment. And there, the prediction is that these instructions will make the judgment worse. And that might seem counterintuitive at first sight. But in fact, the idea is that deliberation is good if you have something to deliberate on. I mean, it's just a facial image that you need a very, very little time exposure to form a judgment. Right, but you don't have
2: evidence of their actual competence, right? You don't have, right. the thing that you're asking them about, you can't say, it's, it's not more or less accurate
3: with regard to truth. It's more or less accurate with regard to who actually won. It's super important to make it clear exactly as you pointed out, this is not about actual competence. And one of the biggest misunderstandings of my work and a lot of the work in this domain of first impression is that people are confusing the cognitive response, the impression with the real thing. And a thing that you do as well in some of the experiments is just
2: as you drop observations where the respondent claimed to already know one of the candidates, you limit the sample to just include white men so that we won't be... The snap judgment isn't just keying off of um, sex or race. And yet you still find this enhanced predictive capacity that's informed by these rapid judgments, again, both in races for the Senate and in races for governorships across the country.
3: That's correct. I mean, it's in fact, as it happened, the majority of the races happen to be white men. But the reason we focus on those is because it gives you a nicer, clean test of the hypothesis that people have these visual stereotypes of their heads of what competent Appears to be, if you have like gender, if you have different ethnicities, well, a, all kinds of stereotypes come to mind. But also political knowledge, for example, we know that demographic characteristics correspond to party affiliation, uh, and if anything, we actually get somewhat worse results when we don't focus only on races of white men. So it's worth
2: scratching your heads and try to figure out what's going on, because as you point out, these are not the actual voters in these races who are rendering their own independent judgments and then showing up on election day and and casting votes. These are Princeton undergraduates. And so I think part of the story must be that, well, their judgments are consistent with people's general judgments. And I think what you are what saying is that those general judgments then figure into actual vote choice. That is, what voters are, are doing, at least some subset of voters are doing when they go around is figuring out, well, who do, I, who do I think is more competent? They're doing something like what's happening in these experiments and they're casting their votes accordingly. Is
3: that is that the story that you want to tell? That's 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 right. I mean, so, so there's two po- parts to it, as you said. Well, so first of all, we know that Princeton undergraduates are absolutely underrepresentative of the general voting population, right? That's in every way. In every way, exactly, in every conceivable way. But we have to make the assumption that their judgments would be very similar to the judgment of the general population. For this, I think there's pretty good evidence. So specifically within a culture, you'll have lots of agreement, especially if you're aggregating across samples, right? At the individual level, there's always quite a bit of disagreement, some agreement, but also there would be a lot of idiosyncratic things. But if you're aggregating and cross groups, there's a lot of agreement. The stimulus, for example, whether you're looking at a male or female face, young or an old face, makes much bigger difference than whether young or older people or whether uh, men or women are rating the stimulus. So I think that's a safe assumption. And the second thing is, well, how does it really work out? And as I mentioned, we didn't, We don't have direct evidence for this. And it could be the multiple routes through which it could help. It could be that just when the party is uh, essentially promoting politicians, they're implicitly more likely to favor candidates who look the part. And then the best evidence, as I said, is Gabriel Lent's work that uh, looking at actual voters and linking it to lack of knowledge. So I think it's, And in follow-up work, he has actually done this work also on primary elections and primary are actually a little bit worse. I mean, there's larger effects on appearance and knowledge is less likely to uh, reduce these effects, partly because you don't have the strongest cue for voters here, which is the party affiliation of the politicians. Uh, So it's certainly not the case that this describes this process describes the typical voter. It describes a small section of voters who are technically not really invested in politics, they're not partisans, and so on and so on. And um, yeah, and there's been very interesting other shades of subsequent findings. I had a former student who is now professor at, at Carnegie Mellon, Chris Ullivola. He looked at... Uh, people also have very strong stereotypes what a Republican... Face looks like and what a Democrat face looks like, but and it turns out that uh, for Republican voters and in Republican uh, states, Democrats who look more Republican they get some kind of an advantage, but you don't get the opposite effect. And I don't know why, but my hunch is that there's a more, much more clear stereotype of what a prototypical Republican face is, and that's not the case for what a prototypical Democratic face is because. As it happened, the uh, it's much more diverse, I mean, probably not sufficiently, but relative to the Republican representation, because it's just much richer representation of different demographics. Can I try a different story? I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. And it's a little bit of a wind-up.
2: So I, you know in the New York Times, they have these games that you can play, like Wordle is the big fancy one. There's also one called Spelling Bee. You have to form at least a four-letter word, and there's one letter that has to always be included in all the words. And, and I share an account with my wife, and she is much, much better at this than I am. And so she'll come in and she'll identify all these words, and then I'll try to see if I can find any that she hasn't found yet. And it turns out you can look at you know the words that have already been identified. And periodically I'll do that to see, well, what has she already found? And I can't believe half the words that she's found. And routinely when I go back in, I then will start typing in the words... That I had just read, but that I was con- I'm convinced they're my I came up with them myself, right? No, no, I mean these are my words. And and I wonder if something like that is playing out here in the following way. You eliminated people who said that they identified somebody, but it could be that they've heard of or in the recesses of their memory, they've heard even from some subsets of these candidates, and to the extent that that correlates with how well they're doing, and there's good reason to believe that it would correlate. You're more likely to hear hear from a frontrunner, somebody who's getting more media attention, that what we're picking up are not the judgments per se. What we're picking up is just sort of this baseline recognition um, that's being driven through background exposure that people aren't fully aware of. What do you think?
3: Yeah, it's, it's a great hypothesis. And one of the first alternatives, so it's some kind of a mere exposure, familiarity, you don't explicitly recognize the face, but there's tons of evidence that that's not the story. The first evidence, again, came from uh, Chapel Lawson and Gabriel Lentz. So they looked at elections in Mexico and Brazil, and you would have American participants making judgment of Mexican politicians or Brazilian politicians. So here, that, this account simply doesn't work. We actually, in my lab, we did this uh, with Bulgarian presidential elections. I'm originally from Bulgaria. That's my accent. My favorite replication was done in uh, Switzerland by John Antonakis. And he had Swiss kids making judgments of French politicians. And the way they did it was, well, look, you have, uh, they described them Here's the Odysseus trip, a very difficult voyage, and you have to pick up the captain of your ship. Here are the two captains, the same setup. So you make it kind of you make it easy and interesting for kids. and even in this case, the kids' judgments, just as the judgments of adults predicted who won in the French parliamentary election. So, so this is a very plausible account, but there's a lot of data. Maybe that might contribute to the effect, but it's not, it's not the whole story. Is it a good news story? Or is this a troubling story? I don't think it's a good news story. I mean, a lot of these impressions are not accurate. So I don't think it's a good story. I think, on the other hand, in, in the political election case, I think that by the time this, most of these people get to where they are, they must have some minimum level of competence, right? It's not like they're not randomly selected people. So I feel like even if there is a bias, it's probably not... I mean, by the time they got there, there was some filtering and filtering and filtering. I mean, every now and then you would have some huge outliers, but that's, that's a di- different story. So I think in this particular case, it's probably not a huge issue. But on the other hand, I mean, it is a bias that is present and people don't talk about it, right? I mean, there's always, you know, race, sexual orientation. These are things that people are highly aware and they're very sensitive but not so much about biases in appearance.
2: Can I try to spin this into a good news story? Sure. Tell me what you think of the following. <laughs> um, looking competent is something that one can manipulate. Presumably one can also manipulate it in the context of a photo shoot that one takes. Yes, 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 these yes. are professional politicians, yes. and there's a lot of deliberation. You didn't go out and take these pictures. You, you found them. These were already taken. These are the ones that were made available. The, the people who look more competent, I'm going to postulate, have better PR teams and and have larger budgets for these photo shoots. And that the people who have the larger budgets for the photo shoots are thinking strategically about lots of things, and they're attracting mm. more funds for all kinds of reasons, some of which we would care about. And what's driving it then is, is that there is this appearance which is, appears idiosyncratic, but in fact, it's a function of a lot of things that might correlate with features that we would want yeah. Uh, voters to evaluate candidates on.
3: Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, although there was a study by two economists, Benjamin and Shapiro in gubernatorial elections, and they look at whether campaign spending funding actually could account for their result. and didn't, but in principle I totally agree with you. Well, two points from the psychological literature. We had a paper a few years ago where it wasn't in political context, but we take the same faces, but in one case, the person is dressed up with somewhat wealthier looking and it doesn't have to be a suit and a tie, but a wealthier looking clothing or a clothing that doesn't look so wealthy, but not like anything that is torn or just regular clothing. So we pre-tested this. And in this context, we had like a dozens of studies and we ask, well, who who looks more competent? And the effect of the clotting is you can get rid of this effect. We did similar manipulation. We showed the image, the face and the clothing For 100 milliseconds, we tell people the clotting is not predictive of what these people do. We tell them they work in the same industry. We had one experiment when we promised the person whose judgment gets closest to just head, judgments of headshots from the neck up gets $100, which we gave $100 to a person and we couldn't get rid of the effect. So again, it's a very automatic judgment. So that's totally consistent. I mean, because it's not just distorting the face, it's grooming and, you know, uh, eyeglasses, all these sorts of stuff comes into play. And we also know another work that, uh, I mean, a few labs have done this work, but also have been involved in the last 10 years or so that you can generate totally different impressions of the same person from different images, right? And and you can see like that's probably reflected in the media. If the media is not it doesn't a particular source doesn't like a particular candidate, usually the images might be unflattering. And so so this is definitely part of the story because a picture is not an image, it's not just a representative image of the face. That's it's just an image. Alex, it's great talking to you. This is super interesting. Likewise. Thank you for having me.
1: This was fascinating. I have a lot of things to say, (laughs) but I'm still extremely puzzled because in this one treatment, people are shown pictures for one tenth of a second. Like, I can't even imagine what that means. Like, I I, I wish there was a link, uh, uh, you know, in the paper to the website where I can replicate this thing on myself, like one tenth of a second. It's just, yes, your brain registers something, but it registers. I don't know. It seems like it registers very little and I can't I, I can't wrap my head around the fact that we can be picking up common, you know, uh, readings on the faces, like that we all read that someone is more competent, even, you know, put aside that, that this correlates with elections, but we are all picking the, so, somehow similar traits in one tenth of a second. And, and that makes me really, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm underappreciating how we work as human beings, but I'm having really hard, time thinking that we can really figure out, not even competence, but like something that's appearing the same way to all of us in one tenth of a second.
2: And that if we stared at it longer, it isn't that our judgments would converge. If anything, they might begin to diverge. And again, he looks at just the white men. So this isn't just people queuing off of race or gender. And yeah, it's shocking. It makes us rethink. I mean, if, if, if true, presumably this isn't just about evaluations of candidates vis-a-vis competence. It's evaluations of you know, who we fall into and out of love with and you know, who, who we're willing to smile at, not smile at on, as we pass them you know, on the road, that there's all kinds of activity that's happening almost instantaneously that we're not even fully aware of. It's sort of humbling.
0: There's a concern that I at least want to raise that's worth discussing. Suppose it's the case some candidates really are better than others. They're just better campaigners, they're savvier, they're more gregarious, they're higher quality, higher ability. And suppose that also is correlated with taking good photographs. Now, it might not be correlated with their actual physical appearance, but suppose being a competent campaigner means that you, are, you put more effort into making sure that you take good photographs and you comb your hair and you shave and you, you, know, and you, uh, you hire a professional photographer and you make sure it's a high-quality photo and so forth. Could that potentially explain some of the result that what voters are picking up on is, oh, that looks like a serious person who took a serious professional photograph? and that happens to be correlated with actual ability so that when the voters are vo- the voters aren't voting on the basis of appearance just the vo- the, they're voting on the basis of ability and that's correlated with perceived competence in the photographs
1: Yeah, so I think this was this was the thought that I had throughout reading the entire paper. They and I think Alex in the interview seemed to suggest, look, people are not picking up anything real. This is really something that's in their brain, but it's not it doesn't correlate with real competence. But as you're pointing out, there does not have to be the case. We have no evidence from this experiment in either direction. Could be that what we are picking up in the pictures is some sort of competence or something, you know, competence. It doesn't have to be competent, but something that that we would reasonably expect to affect the outcome of the election. It's not that some competent people look differently genetically, but competent people manifest themselves differently because they hire better photographers or they are just more confident that they are going to win. And hence they just pose differently in the photographs, you know, like we all know that when we are confident, we just appear differently than when we don't. I mean, there's another possibility, which, you know, maybe I shouldn't be talking about, but I think it's it's something that that is in my mind, is what if competent people on average look differently? Th- that's just how it is. Genetically. Like, co- genetically, maybe actually there is something that we see that correlates. It's not a perfect uh, predictor, but correlates with competence. And evolutionarily, we, we learn how to detect it. And, you know, that's what we are doing, in which case that would be sort of a positive stories so yes people are making those snap judgments but they are just good at that and they're picking the right thing yeah that actually that's
0: a question i wanted to ask ask both of you so there is this broader literature in psychology about snap people you know people do seem to make these snap judgments teaching evaluations of college professors are very highly predicted based on the assessments of somebody who watches a 10-second video clip of a professor you know and one one interpretation is people are just so good, they're so perceptive that they can see how good that professor was gonna be just from the 10 second clip. Or the other alternative is that people are so superficial that they are evaluating professors on the basis of things that really shouldn't matter for the quality of their teaching. Like, just do they have a nice sounding voice or do they, or do they, do they, do they, do they look nice or et cetera and so forth. So that's, I don't know, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I think that's unresolved, I think. I think that's a big debate. I think we know that people make these kind of snap judgments. Is that a good thing? Is that because people are really good at they're really good at learning quickly from little bits of information? Or are they are they actually way too superficial? And we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be inferring very quickly how competent someone is just by meeting them for five seconds?
2: There's nothing in these experiments that will adjudicate these these competing claims because they don't have evidence about the actual competence of these people that they can sort of they can they can use to see whether or not, you know, these these evaluations are are right or wrong. But I'm inclined to, and I put to him, a more generalized version of the argument that you articulated, Anthony, which is that it correlates with stuff that probably does matter. It could be that the more competent people make a point of making sure that they take better pictures and then or they assume a posture that shows their competence or it's just something, an innate feature that they have. It could also be that people who outside of their competence are advantaged in some way, they know more about policy or they have more experience or whatever the thing might be, They what do they do? They raise more money on average an expectation and that they build out a, a better team because higher quality people are willing to work for them to advance their case. And part and parcel of the larger effort to get them elected is to make sure that they take really good pictures. It expresses itself in the context of the survey as that person looks more competent. But it needn't be that it's channeling actual competence for nonetheless something very real to be played out in ways that would sustain the, the correlation that they're recovering.
1: You know, if it's not this picture, that, <laughs> these superficial things that made people win, then what is it? Then it must be something real. So I feel like either we treat it as bad news. We say, hey, people are really very superficial. And look, that actually sways the elections, like seven percentage points we can sort of attributes to being swayed by this superstition or maybe like 3.5 percentage points. Or we just acknowledge that people are picking something real, that elections on average pick people that are more competent or more trustworthy. And and people can figure that out uh, actually in one tenth of a second.
2: I mean, I think we've given a number of reasons why we shouldn't. But a naive reading of the evidence on offer would suggest that visual representations of competence dominate our politics, right? It has, it can... It 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 plays uh, if what you think is going on is that the evaluations of those Princeton undergraduates are simply reflective evaluations that are happening in the minds of voters all the time, and yielding these big differences in predictions about actual returns. My goodness! And in a world where there are big differences between the Democrats and Republicans, the idea that this would nudge a bunch of voters? I mean, again, this is where the follow-on work comes back and says, well, it, it nudges a subset of the voters and it's the least informed voters. Yes. But this is also why I guess where I come out is that the action actually has very little to do with what's going on in the minds of voters. And this is reflective of something else about how these pictures are taken and that that's what's being picked up in here.
1: Exactly because you know what you said about the swing voters. Like I would, I would buy this argument that it's just enough that we have uh, very few swing voters, and those few swing voters are affected by these very irrelevant features. But I would guess that most of those races were not races where the the race was really, really close. And in that cases, you know, like should we really see seven percentage point difference? I I don't I don't see that. So I, it seems to me, and you know, we talk all about you know, how polarized America is and how people are partisan. And we sort of tend to say, OK, voters are not uh, really rational because they have this completely rational love and allegiance to their party. And then on the other hand, just pictures, just like some sort of one second uh, impression swings the election. Like I cannot reconcile those two. So I'm inclined to go with your explanation that this is just picking up something that's real and, and through channels that, you know, as you mentioned, uh, maybe it's uh, spending, taking better pictures or some other channels.
0: So I have I have some evidence to introduce into the record that might be interesting. On the one hand, I think probably the effect is not as big as reported in this paper for the reasons we've discussed. I suspect the effect of appearance is probably real but probably not massive. It's not affecting a huge number of voters. But if the if it is a real effect and if it is affecting a lot of voters, I actually think that's a huge problem for the health of democracy. I think that would that would be really that would be really disappointing to learn that that voters were you know, essentially just basing their vote choices on appearance and not on any other substance. And I also suspect that Princeton undergraduates are not so perceptive that they can just magically look at someone's picture and figure out if they're actually a good politician. And if we if we could actually look at the actual performance of these candidates, if they were in office, that their, their facial competence wouldn't be that correlated with um, with their actual competence, and the the bit of evidence I have on this, I had a debate with one of our colleagues on this exact. We were talking about this literature, and we had a debate about these exact normative implications. And he probably would prefer not to be named, but it's but it's someone who one of our colleagues who's been on our show before. He believed that he could, in fact, look at someone's picture and predict how actually competent they were, and and I said, well, we can't do this for politicians because we don't have any really objective measure of of competence, but. We can do this and this is why he doesn't want to be named. We can do this for my students. I've taught hundreds of undergraduates and I have their pictures from the registrar's office. They give us, you know, they give us a roster of here all the students in your class and here's, here's their picture so you can recognize them when you see them in class. And if I give you all the photos of my students and just have you try to predict how well they did in my class based on their photos, I don't think you could do it very well. And he thought he could. And so we did this exact exercise where he gave hundreds of predictions of the students predicting how well he thought they were gonna do in my class. And they said, oh, this is an example of a person I could just tell, they just don't look competent. And I'm like, "That they're just smiling. Like, I don't understand. Like, that's, and they're like, exactly. Like only an idiot would smile. <laughs> and, and that person in fact did very well in my class and i don't think smiling in your photograph is correlated with much of anything we did con- we did we did look within uh racial categories and gender categories just to make sure that wasn't a potential confounder and so forth but there was no correlation between his, his predictions and their actual performance in my class. So now of course it's a selected sample and so forth, but this is a selected sample too. That, 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 again, that doesn't perfectly answer all of our questions, but that makes me think that people aren't as good as maybe they think they are at inferring, inferring people's abilities just from their appearance.
1: So, so can you repeat this experiment? I think it's very interesting, but can you repeat this experiment with two of your colleagues and see how their answers correlate? Because I think if you found that our answers correlate with one another, but they are uncorrelated with the grades, then I would say, well, maybe you, 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 you sort of speak to the experiment and say, hey, people are picking up something and they think this is real, but it's actually they're picking. Maybe, maybe everyone just thinks, you know, smart people have small noses or something like this or, you know, eyes that are big but you had just one person and maybe if anything i would say maybe that's evidence pointing in the direction of the mechanism that we were talking about. No, here you just and took I, and students and, I, and they didn't have the budget to take a better picture. They didn't have time to prepare for the photo. Like these are just <laughs> you know, photos that are taken at a random time. Uh, so so why would we be able to pick up anything from those pictures?
0: I'm happy to do I'm happy to do this again. We can do more. If, if you guys are volunteering, we can we can triple the size of the data set right now. Let's do just, that. We have, we we'll have an review. answer
1: uh, um, during our next podcast. getting a lot out of the important research shirt on this show, there's another University of Chicago podcast network show you should check out. It's called Entitled. International lawyers Claudia Flores and Tom Ginsburg have traveled the world getting into the weeds of global human rights debates. On Entitled, they use that expertise to explore the stories and thorny questions around why rights matter and what's the matter with rights subscribe to Entitled, part of the award-winning University of Chicago Podcast Network. So I'm going to throw in another observation from the paper, and I'm curious what you think about this. So the paper refers to a lot of other research projects where people ask similar questions. And there was this one project where researchers showed subjects a few seconds of a debate gubernatorial debate and there were two treatments one was with with voice and one was without when people were guessing the outcome of the election i think at that time they were guessing the outcome of the election and they watched the 10 seconds of the debate with the voice they were just guessing at random When they watched it without the voice, they were guessing better than at random. Their votes were predictive of the true outcome. And the authors say, well, you know, this is really consistent with the findings in the literature because people are really good at making snap judgments from uh, the face and the facial expressions. And anything else is just noise that confuses us. And, And if you watch a debate with the voice, then you get confused. Well, that's good. Then I'm fine with that so far. But then... You know, when we vote in the elections, we don't just see the pictures of the candidates. In fact, we rarely see the pictures of the candidates. Like we see them on TV, we hear about them and so on. So we have all this noise. And yet it seems like when we shut down this noise in the experiment, that's when people can predict who wins. And sure, you can tell some stories that this noise somehow averages, you know, like washes out in big elections. I don't know, but to me, it was a little bit surprising.
0: But for congressional um, candidates and for gubernatorial candidates, you're not hearing them speak a lot. You're not you're not watching them debate a lot. You're reading newspaper articles about them. You see a photograph of them in newspaper the newspaper. Who's reading newspaper What's that?
1: Who's reading newspaper articles these days?
0: <laughs> you are, you know. Um, you're maybe seeing a very quick news clip or something like that, but I, I, don't, I don't mean that's. I mean that's a that's an empirical question, and it, that could be worth probing to see, you know, for whom is the effect? Do for whom does the effect? Does, does this facial competence do a better job predicting their vote choices? Um, I mentioned that Lawson Lens paper. It looks like exposure to television news is is correlated with this, and so. But it could be that you're not. You know, it could be that you really are queuing off of their appearance and not based on how they sound. But it's not. It's not obvious which way it goes because you're not. Again, you're not even for a gubernatorial race, you're not spending a lot of time. Do you know, you know, you probably know what our governor sounds like. Do you know what, you know, do you know what, say, the republic. The next Republican challenger, are you going to hear them speak a lot? Probably not. But I
2: think what what a key thing to pay attention to here is not whether or not voters are evaluating candidates on the basis of the timbre of their voice and that that's what's being picked up here, both when they watch these clips and when other voters cast votes, but rather the people who are exposed to these clips, what are they actually learning? And it has to be the case that when you shut down some things that then you pay attention more to others. And imagine we live in a world wherein people who are trailing in the polls and not doing very well are more likely in the context of a, of a debate to show kind of pained expressions on their face. And when you shut down the voice, then that's more likely to be picked up on by the person who's offering the valuation. And, and what you wouldn't say then is that, well, it's the pained expression on the face that caused people to subsequently vote against that person. But the pained expression on their face is indicative of something much more larger and something that's very real, which is this is somebody who's not doing very well. And I don't know, that doesn't sound terribly surprising. That, and, 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 and so when asked to predict the outcome of elections generally, you guys wouldn't want to be flooded with every single fact that informed a campaign. You'd want to hone in on a few select facts um, that we know some, that we know bear upon electoral outcomes. In that kind of spirit, that's what seems to be happening here too. More is not always more. Sometimes you just need sort of fewer dimensions. Or in the context of these these um, experiments that are part of this paper, shockingly, all you need is a tenth of a second exposure to uh, a single flat image.
0: They also cite the jam study in here, which is kind of fun. You know what I'm talking about? The jam, there's some, this, this jam study. They went to a jam festival, like actual, like... like Oh, actual jam.
2: Know, jam. I thought jam was like standing in for something. Actual jam. Like where they, you mean like jelly and jam?
0: People, yeah, they ask people to rate jams. And it turns out that your ratings, a regular person's ratings of the jams are more closely correlated with the with the ratings of experts when you're not asked to give a reason. When they just ask you to rate them, you, your, your ratings look like those of experts. When they ask you to explain your rating, your ratings no longer match those of experts, and it suggests that people are pretty good at just getting a quick sense of, like, yeah, that jam tastes good. But if you ask me to explain why I like this jam, then I start thinking about other things, and and I end up, I don't, you know, who knows. But it's you can imagine some comparable example. In, like maybe I can just watch a debate, and I can get a sense for. Yeah, that seems like somebody who's competent. I like what they have to say and I want them to be our leader. If I have to spend a lot of time explaining my reasoning, maybe maybe I won't be good at that actually and I might start thinking about things that are irrelevant.
2: I don't know. I think whole industries depend upon this, right? The wine industry, the art industries, that the deliberation just yields a bunch of nonsense. And if we just cut <laughs> right to it and said... You know, did you like it? You might get something that's truer.
1: Which means that we should go very fast to the bottom line.
2: What is your... That's right. (laughs) (laughs) The longer we talk...
1: (laughs) The more confusing it is.
2: The more lost we become. What's yours, Viola?
1: I'm going to change my picture on my website. (laughs) Well, I don't know. You know, I'm going to assume that uh, my referees uh, look at my picture and... uh, you know, infer the correctness of my proofs from that. So I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to put some effort into that. That's
0: good. I don't know what the right picture is. Someone with correct proofs might be really bad at taking photos. Maybe, maybe you should have a bad photo on your, on your website. Mm. I think I've already said my bottom line, <laughs> which is, I think... I mean, I think they probably are picking up something real here in the study. It does seem like some fraction of voters do seem to be selecting candidates on the basis of appearance. That, is, that does seem concerning to, to me, because I, I mean, I, I would like it to be the case that voters are picking the candidates on the basis of their actual abilities and their policy positions and so forth. And I suspect that they're not very good at just looking at a candidate and, and, and inferring how competent they're actually going to be. And so I find that to be somewhat troubling. But I also suspect that the study is slightly overstating the importance of appearance in elections for a lot of the reasons that we talked about, for the, the fact that Actual campaigning ability might be correlated with the quality of the photographs and um, and who runs in different races is probably is probably influenced by the by the appearances of candidates and so forth. And so I suspect we're overstating things a little bit, but I also I also think this is interesting. I think there probably is something real here, and I think it's somewhat concerning. It, it it worries me actually, and, and I wish voters were more informed and were queuing we were were basing their votes on other things other than physical appearance.
2: I'm inclined to hold out that a big chunk of it, not some, but a big chunk of it, is correlated with foundational things. But I, 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 I will say, this paper, more than maybe any one that we've talked about on this podcast, surprised me. I thought that when I saw what these experiments were doing, that surely they were going to find nothing at all. And the first three or four thoughts about that I had about you know, what would explain those findings away are... Probably not true, and it's forcing us to take them much more seriously than I anticipated we would need to. That's more, again, on the basis of the care with which these particular experiments were done, and then the follow-on work that Alex talked about um, in the interview, um, and and that people in our own discipline have have undertaken. It's sort of shocking that we that these findings exist in the world, and the question is, what is it that they convey? Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to Not Another Politics podcast.
1: Our show is a podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy and is produced by Matt Hodapp. Thanks for listening.